Hello world, welcome to Hopecast. This is our podcast on spirituality, sexuality, wellness and queerness. I'm Paul in London, joined by my fantastic co-hosts as always. I am Anders in Amsterdam. I'm Matthew in London. And Nick also here in London. We're missing Yasser and Oliver today, but they're hopefully going to be on an extra cast to talk about our episode today. So before we dive in, what's been making you hopeful since we last spoke? Forgot to think about it. It like, happens, happens knew, every time. I knew all day today. <laughs> I was like, I need to talk about something that makes me hopeful. But uh, a little bit of just <laughs> personal hopefulness is I'm going up to Sweden uh, next week or at the end of this week. And then... I'll see my parents a little bit at the end of next week, which I look forward to very much. And I feel hopeful that it's going to be quite relaxing. Nice. When were you last in Sweden? Uh, I was actually there for Christmas last year, but I only went to Stockholm to see one of my siblings. I didn't want to bring any plague up to my parents. Yeah. Exciting. And um, yeah, this will be your first time as an international podcasting superstar. So maybe they'll, they'll be meeting you at the border. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah, I should hire some security. <laughs> Matthew, Nick, what's been making you hopeful? I'm actually also off. Um, I'm going to Berlin. Uh, next <gasps> week. Oh, nice. So yeah, I'm excited to get out of the country and um, yeah, have some new scenery. I'm very excited about that. How is it traveling to Berlin at the moment? Does it feel um, administratively annoying? Um, to be honest, I haven't crossed that bridge, so we'll see. <laughs> I, I booked it on a whim, so I'm hoping it's not a complete nightmare. Nice. How about you, Nick? Yes, just remember your passenger locator form. <laughs> I will. We started back for the gay men's meditation group a couple of weeks ago so we've had three face-to-face -face sessions again so uh there's a real sense of joy in feeling what it's like again to be meeting as a as a community and being together so it's giving me hope that we can start to uh rebuild some of those uh connections and, and experiences of being face-to-face I'm struggling to find something. It's not that I feel that I don't hope about anything. It just feels very busy at the moment. Things feel really busy. Work is busy and social life is busy. And, you know, what a terrible, horrible thing to say about, oh, how busy we are having so much fun. But I'm struggling a bit to just make it, uh, find a balance, make sense of, how to do this. So I was due to be seeing a friend tonight after we were recording and he cancelled and I thought, oh, thank God. Not because I don't want to see him, but because it just gives me a free evening. We were out at the theatre last night and we were on a disco boat at the weekend and yeah, lots of stuff. And listen to me moaning about how much fun it is. <laughs> but there's... Busy. I, yeah. <laughs> I could just say no. But I've really noticed, like, I haven't been able to come to the, you know, I couldn't come to the social on Sunday because we had other plans. And I missed the last men's meditation group because I think there was something else going on. And it's it's just now feeling like after almost a year and a half of having a really nice routine, I feel like it's now things are clashing. Mm. Yeah. And so that doesn't feel very hopeful. What? How can I find some hope in that? I guess the hope in that is that I'm having a really nice time. I guess I, ho I hope for myself that I can maybe find a bit more of a balance. Mm, I definitely relate to that. I feel like everything's very busy at the moment. Mm. But and yeah, I mean, I'm having fun. I'm just like, when am I, when am I having a day off? I need one. Mm. Yeah, we were due to go out on Monday um, to the gay sports day at the RVT and decided not to, partly because the weather was a bit rubbish, but also because we'd been out a couple of times and we were just like, oh, let's just have a day at home. I think we still ended up going out. We still went out for breakfast and mooched around. But yeah, it's it's interesting. 
trying to reintegrate a bit of social life. I've kind of dreaded it for a while. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. Dreading the time clashes or just the no, commitment. just uh, I do like being at home, <laughs> feeling feeling a little bit obliged to activate and go places. Uh, seems daunting sometimes, mm. but it is very nice to be able to see people face to face. Yeah. So yeah, so my hope is I'll be able to come to more of the men's meditation groups because it's good for my soul. So, um, last episode, of which oh, you know, I have such a regret. If if I have any regret about our last episode, it's that we didn't call it Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. Well, maybe it's a good thing we didn't. Um, <laughs> but uh, I've been thinking a lot about it and Andrews and I talked a bit on our extra cast about some of the themes um, and we want to follow up some of it because when we finished the last episode I remember everyone saying oh there's so much to talk about and then we have beautifully had some nice feedback about the episode I mean I say nice it made me feel a bit uncomfortable because I felt like maybe we hadn't explained ourselves entirely as well as we could have done or maybe we did I don't know um, but a couple of things that stood out for me, there was a couple of phrases or words that came through. Um, one was slut-shaming and the other was judgment. And both of them really landed with me and really kind of stuck. They were a bit like, I'll say Velcro for the youngsters, fuzzy felt for the older people. There was a bit of an attachment and I thought, oh no, I hope I didn't come across as either slut-shaming or judgmental. But I did listen back to the episode, and I don't think I did. I don't think we did. But I'm curious about why those things, not necessarily to go back and kind of explain them, but I'm curious why those things landed for me, why those particular bits of feedback kind of made me stop and think. And the, I don't know, I guess the kind of responses that you had as well to, to those words, not necessarily to justify or, you know, it's not about being defensive about it, but I'm just curious about, did you have a similar reaction or were you like, yeah, fine, bring it on? I guess it's inevitable, isn't it? If, if um, I mean, again, to come maybe from the slightly Buddhist perspective, although, I mean, it is sort of grew out as a question for the Buddha and like one of one of the challenges as as a meditator is to learn to see the nature of the mind binding itself to the idea of identity and obviously as gay men you know or bi or queer men you know one of the biggest wounds that we've had is around being told that we're wrong uh, that our sexuality is wrong and so, of course, you know, then we sort of want to celebrate um, being queer. We want to sort of celebrate, uh, you know, sexual expression. Um, so, I, I guess in the conversation we were having, and, and it was around quite a sort of narrow focus on a, a particular ethical point you know if if you start to say well perhaps this isn't ethical or or this is not in line with my ethics uh obviously for some people that could be heard as 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 a personal condemnation or uh or as um being judgmental um and uh maybe there's something around that you know and sort of recognizing that you know i mean i'm i'm very sex positive i sort of celebrate all sorts of different ways that people can explore their, their sexual identity and um i think i've probably tried quite a lot of things already and i'm open to trying a few more so it's i don't have any sense of prudishness around this um but it's an interesting conversation, isn't it? How do we talk about sex and talk about boundaries to sex without 
it being heard as what happens if you, the listener, hear that as a criticism. Mm. Um, and from the Buddhist perspective, it's like, well, sometimes we've so fused with our identity that we take, you know, a criticism of a certain way of having sex as then being a criticism of my sort of um, thing innate in me. And, and there's maybe something useful about sort of slightly teasing that apart and saying, well, could we talk about, you know, what, you know, what is ethical, you know, what is a healthy expression of sexuality? Um, without that being that, you know, we're, we're condemning people or saying that it's getting into that polarity of it's like, that is evil, that is wrong. Mm. Yeah. Where does ethics come into sexuality? Not, and I'm not expecting you to answer that, Nick, just a general question. I guess I hadn't really thought about ethics as being a, a conversation in the sexual space. Morality, yes because I think that for me is often something that's imposed on it. But ethics, I think is an interesting one. Maybe we should quickly look up ethics and get a definition. <laughs> <laughs> Let me Google that for you. I have seen, um, and I can't do both things at one time, but I have seen people talk about a book called The Ethical Slut, which I haven't read. Yes, yes, I'm just oh, yeah. starting to read And I think okay. Matthew, Matthew referenced it in a conversation. Ah, showing it on screen right now for those uh, visual listeners. <laughs> <laughs> so according to the dictionary, ethics are the moral principle, morals, see, first word, morals, moral principles that govern a person's behavior or the conducting of an activity. The moral correctness of, so it's all about morals. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Because I notice I have quite a... So ethics I find quite an interesting word. Morals I find quite resistant. Oh, it feels like um, one of those terms... Or I, I am not qualified to say this, but <laughs> it feels like... Uh, or when I think about it, just, I mean, both ethics and morals, maybe it, what comes to mind is a framework, you know, that is probably agreed upon to some level between members of a community or space. Uh, and I think sometimes that framework can be incorrect and sometimes it can be helpful and healthy. Uh, that's... Uh, that's the Anders Google. <laughs> Doesn't really help, I feel like, but... Uh, hey, Anders, define that... ethics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to speculate wildly. <laughs> but I do think that is sort of uh, a little bit of, uh, of of the root of of talking about ethics and morals and so on, is that it can actually look quite different in different situations and for different people and in different places. Uh, I always feel like I don't really have any authority to, to decide what is ethical, um, which I feel like I also talked about in the extra cast where I like, I'm not sure about anything basically. Hmm. I think it, um, yeah, listening to that feedback, it was interesting actually, the, the words judgment and judgmental, sorry, and slut shaming. Um, and I guess maybe we heard that the the Buddha question differently to the to the person who was um writing in and, and they were seeing it from a different viewpoint, because I stand by everything I said. Um, I don't think I was coming from a judgmental place. I'm definitely not um, slut shaming on that, on that, on what I was saying. It, it was nothing to do with about people being slutty or sex positive at all. It was about do, cheating or like doing stuff behind people's backs, um, which is harmful to 
that person or other people's and I think that is the that's the thing that I found morally questionable it wasn't anything to do with um people's sexual acts per se it was about the, the people who were going to get harmed because of it being secretive um I think if everything's on the table and people are consenting you do what you want to do like so I, I found that really interesting that they they thought it was from a judgmental place it's that's not at all where it was come from but I guess everyone's perceiving these things very differently and I guess the question maybe was much more it wasn't quite as specific perhaps as we read it um like it, I think they mentioned maybe the the married couple were in an open relationship and obviously that changes things completely um if if they if both parties are in on it of course like sleep with a married man like and they're both consenting but it didn't sound like that to me from the question um and that's the basis on which I gave my opinion on it's not the moral thing to do is there a point when sluttiness becomes harmful or am I just about to mansplain slut shaming <laughs> I was having a discussion with someone this week actually about the like the boundary between like sex positive and like sex addiction like at what point does it become harmful and it like who's to say it I guess that's up to the individual to realize if it's affecting their mental health if it's affecting like if they're putting this, themselves at physical risk or um yeah. I, I don't think that's for someone else to these judge. are the these are the like situations where i will fully spiral out if i start thinking about like you know is this is this action harmful to someone and then i'm like well maybe after my encounter with this person that i chose to have, they will get hit by a car because I cost this timing in the universe <laughs> to line up, you know, that I very quickly go to very dark places, I think, when I when I think about how I affect other people in general and mm -hmm. uh, the world around me. So yeah. if the sex doesn't kill you, the car will. Oh, God. Right. You, <laughs> you never know. But then maybe that's just that person's fate. Mm. Right. And maybe, I mean, maybe the thing that happened two years ago when I was not even in the same place, you know, is the thing that set it off. Well, I mean, you, can, you can't get to the end of those things. Yeah, I guess it's, I was, it, we, the discussion I was having this week, um, I guess tied in with all addictions though, like if it's gonna be different for different people, like some people will be able to like manage their lives on a substance or or having addictive behaviors and still do what they need to do but if it's like impeding on your day-to-day -day life or affecting your relationships and stuff then it's it's something that it becomes a problem but that's going to be different for everyone so mm. how can we judge or or tell someone that it's a problem i don't know mm. i suppose it comes back to the velvet rage where he talks about you know the wound of shame which leads to the need for validation so you know am i going out and having the most amazing sex just because i am enjoying this moment and i'm just sort of fully present in it and um celebrating uh the amazing interplay between myself and another being in in that moment uh, or am I looking to prove myself by having sex every night of the week? Say, um, am I looking for validation or internal validation that, you know, I am attractive, I am wanted. And, you know, maybe then, you know, maybe if we start to get a sense of it's like, I'm not really doing this just because I enjoy the moment. I'm doing it because underneath it all, I feel that there's something actually unworthy in me then from a sort of meditation and self-care perspective you know that's when we sort of turn inside and sort of say what is it that i don't really love about myself or what part of it me is there that i don't love about myself that i'm needing to seek this 
So I don't think it's the actions. You can never just, you know, two people could be having sex every night of the week. And for one of them, it could be a really healthy expression of libido and the sense of self-worth and uh, valuing the connection they make with each person in that moment. Uh, and for the other person, it could be a desperate search to fulfill an empty hole. And by the end of the week, they just feel very empty. Mm. Sorry. Or Childish. Um, not intended, <laughs> but taken. Filling an empty hole. Um, <clears throat> sorry, Matt, you were going to say something before I giggled. Um, <laughs> sorry. How, how old are you, Paul? 47. <laughs> um, no, I guess it is about that external validation thing. If if you're using any of, of addictive behaviours to mask pain or trauma or shame, um, that's it, but that's, I think that's only going to be recognized from the person that's doing it you uh, as much as someone can be like your your behaviors or your actions or your whatever substance use is harmful i think that it's only down to the individual to actually recognize that there is wounding or there's something that you're using that thing to mask so again it's i think an individual's discovery to find doesn't everything mask everything? And this is where I feel like I start spiraling a bit because then I go, so yes, it could be using sex to fill a hole. It, but also it could be what phone I've got, or it could be what car I drive, or it could be the job title I have, or I don't know, the, the trainers well, that, I wear. That's the premise of affluenza. Uh, which is a really interesting book, which sort of says that in our Western uh, culture, um, we're all infected with affluenza. Um, we're all in, in, infected with this need to prove our worth through the label that we're wearing or the type of car that we drive. And um, so actually, you know, everything you just listed there from a certain perspective, it's true. Um, you know, it's all being used to, you know, mask the the wounds that um, sort of capitalism and materialism can create in us, which is, you know, from an early age, we're sort of told, you know, we're not of worth in and of ourselves, but because of what we produce or show or consume. Um, and so then we seek to sort of, you know, drive the best car or you know, have the best clothes rather than just being happy with something that has no label, say, or... Um... Hmm. And where does, if at all, religion come into it? Like, is, there a, is there a spiritual aspect to materialism and sexuality or sexuality? Like, are there particular things that you're taught Well, there's an argument that um, Protestantism gave rise to capitalism because it shifted the focus from a sort of collective um, to an individual relationship to God. And this idea that it's sort of like each individual, it, well, it, Protestantism created the work ethic. It was saying that, you know, if you if you don't work you leave yourself spare time if you have spare time you have time to sin so work is godly um, and so protestant cultures took on this attitude that you have to just keep working yeah it's super i just learned about this term the protestant uh, work ethic in the fantastic book time off that i read where it was basically seemed like a bit of a collab between the upper classes and the protestant church too to push this, this, uh, well, work as godliness. Uh, and that's something that is so hard. I mean, I definitely feel like I uh, must always be, you know, putting in effort because that's, that's what I grew up with. I mean, that's kind of the whole society in a way now um, that it's about productivity to a certain degree. Um, I don't really know how to tie that uh, capitalism 
and religion and sexuality together. Um, maybe more the affluenza. I could make a very superficial observation, but two men having sex is unproductive. <laughs> that is true. You know, on a really basic level, there's nothing generative in terms of capitalism. You know, we're not going to create another life. We're not going to create another taxpayer, another worker. Mm -hmm. So on a really simplistic level, we're not being productive when we're spending our time having sex. But we are saving all our money that we can spend on ourselves and go spend and spend and spend. <laughs> on the things that make us happy. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the spend yeah, and... Sorry. No, I, I think that's a really important point, Paul. I mean, in, in, in a way, you've, you've put your finger on actually one of the reasons that, that there was such a persecution of, of gay men, because um, sort of a few centuries back, and there was definitely this sense, you know, two men and then two women having sex together, why are they doing it? They're only doing it for pleasure. And there was this attitude from the Christian church that, you know, sex originated as a consequence of Adam and Eve's uh, disobeyal of God. Um, through eating the apple, they, they opened to the knowledge of sensual pleasure and of self and other. I mean, it's actually a nice metaphor because it's like, you know, the eating of the apple was about coming into this world of duality and starting and leaving that place of, of oneness and coming into a, which was Eden and coming into a realm of duality where there is self and other. And when there's self and other, then suddenly, um, then sex becomes a, a something you become self-conscious of. Um, so, you know, that idea of original sin meant that, you know, sex, the pleasure from sex, it had to try and be limited as much as possible. And there's some religions, like I think Orthodox Jews, you know, they will have a sheet between them uh, when they're having sex uh, with just a, a hole in it in the relevant place. Um, uh, so, you know, various religions sort of bring in this attitude that there is something wrong about sex um, uh, or that you should, like in Western Christianity, it was you should only have sex on a certain day of the week. So you, you weren't giving in to your desires. You were only doing it on the day of the week that you were allowed to by the church. So then men having sex together, it's like suddenly challenging all of that because it's saying like, well, they're just doing it for pleasure. And it's all about context, isn't it? Because that, you know, a, a sheet with a hole in it in one context is spiritual in the other context, it's a glory hole. So there's something about what's the what's the meaning that you attach to a particular practice? I think thinking about it through the lens of pleasure to me feels much easier because I, I would say I'm absolutely pleasure positive. I, I do, I, you know, I do have those mo kind of spiraling moments of thinking about when sluttiness becomes harmful and if it stops being pleasurable, to me that would be harmful if it's not pleasurable because it's either a compulsion or it's a, a translation of something that feels broken into a, an act that isn't having any difference or it's non-consensual or it's um, damaging to someone because you're lying about it, then that's not pleasurable. It might be sexual, but there's no pleasure in that. So maybe I'm, if I think of myself as being pleasure positive, that takes away some of that thing of going, yeah, but when, you know, if you're going out and having sex with 500 people in a weekend, if it's pleasurable. Then you have, then you have really like scored some form of record. I... <laughs> <laughs> um, no, yeah. sorry. I, I mean, I was thinking, you know, challenge accepted, but that there is something about that. And again, is it quantity? Because it could be that you're in a relationship with someone for 50 years and causing that person pain. So there's something for me about, it just feels so much more um, aligned to think about it through the lens of pleasure. Because then if it stops being pleasurable, it, there's something there that's not right. 
Man, it's uh, it's. I think I. I think I will. I will think about it some more. But I do. I do think I will. Will try to think of it that way. Think. 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 Uh, <laughs> but I think. That if, gosh, um, when it becomes something, also, I, I think even just pleasure for the sake of pleasure when that becomes what you seek out um, could become its own way of, you know, seeking, seeking or grasping for something. Um, but I don't know, that might pop up for me because I've tried in the past year to kind of embrace uh, messiness or imperfection. And so I don't need uh, pleasure at all times necessarily, which I don't think is necessarily what you're arguing then. <laughs> no, but I'm fascinated by that sentence. <laughs> so by seeking messiness and imperfection, you don't necessarily need pleasure. Right. I mean, I think, I think you can have, I mean, no, I'm not talking about sex necessarily, but just in general mm. in life too, uh, when everything is like, uh, a pinnacle of amazingness you kind of need the little like lows and less interesting times I think as well in order for those to those really amazing times to feel even more amazing I don't know a little mm. bit the distance makes the heart grow fonder thing um, but I don't I, yeah I don't know where I'm going with that but well, I, I, think think I, I think I understand it better now. Thank you. So what I, what I think I'm hearing is if you're constantly pursuing pleasure, then is that just another way of stopping those points of when it isn't pleasurable and life isn't always pleasurable. And so if you're constantly pursuing that, is it because you're shielding yourself from pain? Yeah. But then, of course, if you're embracing pleasure, that's a different, like, if mm. it's, I think there are so many ways to approach that. When you were learning about sex between men in whichever form you had that learning, was it in the context of pleasure? My gosh, I just have thought about this uh, because uh, Sweden has pretty good sex ed, uh, I would say, but also very heterosex ed to a certain degree. So, you know, I definitely learned how it might feel for the first time for a heterosexual couple and like what it might be like. And in school, they would basically, you know, they're like, and then people can have sex with someone of the same sex. And you're like, okay, cool. And then um, I remember, you know, growing older and I'm like, I just actually don't really know how this is supposed to, you know, how is this supposed to work? And then having, having, uh, peers on the internet i was a like forum kid when i was younger and just like had these communities of fellow uh, queer individuals where i would get much more information and people were like the first time you should just like not um, not expect things to like go smoothly uh drink a lot of wine uh which <laughs> was good advice <laughs> That time. But definitely, so like what to answer your question, uh, the official formal like learning about it for me was definitely something that was sort of glossed over uh, and not really explained in any other way than like this can happen somehow. Uh, so <laughs> we'll so having that like figure out. having the community be the teacher uh, was helpful and brought in those different aspects of it, you know, where it's not just like, here's an action. Hmm. I can't remember any conversations about pleasure. I just can't think of anything. Yeah, I think I think this I think this silence says it all. Like I, <laughs> I literally don't. There was ne there was never anything. 
um, relating to sex between men being a pleasurable thing in in my education. Um, in fact, not even in. Mm, to be honest, like the sex that like if it's so long ago, like I can't even. The only thing I remember specifically being taught was like how not to get pregnant and how a baby was made. Like, has that yeah, served you well? Served me so well. <laughs> <laughs> um, no pregnancy so far. She's she's doing well. Thirty and thirty and no kids. Um, it's yeah, it's so wild to think that sex sex ed isn't incredible maybe it is now, including that pleasure can also be a reason for having sex, not just having kids. Hmm. Hmm. I think my first um, sort of sex ed specific to gay sex uh, was seeing the infamous Tombstone advert as a, as a teenager for HIV. Wow. Um, because it was the 80s and so, you know, there was nothing said about same-sex relationships during our sort of sex ed at school. And actually nothing much said about the pleasure of it. It was, you know, um, even between heterosexuals, it was just very much a biological, it's like, here is a diagram of an erect penis. It goes in here. This is what happens. Um, and this is how a baby is made. Um, uh, and so again, the focus was on, you know, sex is about how babies are made rather than sex as a way of building connection in a relationship or exploring pleasure. Um, so, um, and yes, you know, when I was about 17 or so and in 1987, I think, and, and this ad came out just as I was starting to recognize my attraction to men and and so it's it really sort of melded my or molded fused a, a certain on an emotional level that sort of sex is related to death um and and the first few times i had sex and i was just giving a guy a blowjob in some public loos and it's sort of like and then i'd sort of went home and initially it was like wow that was amazing I, well you know cycling home and i've got this guy sent in my nostrils still all the way back and it's like wow that's hot um but then then suddenly this question arose in my head it's like have i got aids hmm. like he just came in my mouth you know does that mean i've now got aids so it's like you know and because it's like because of this this way of, of of you know connecting the two um so i had to do a lot of work actually on on coming to a point where i could actually embrace sex as a thing to to celebrate um you know i mean i went i became celibate at 22 for various reasons but part of it looking back was this sort of internalized fear of, of sex and, and then remaining celibate until I was 35. Um, and actually when I left the monastery and was came to London um, and I started to have sex, but I found it really difficult, really difficult to relax into it or enjoy it or um, not feel anxious about the experience of whether I had to perform or how I could relax enough to actually even enjoy it or feel any pleasure um and i bought a, a couple of books which were about the sort of i don't think it was called the joy of sex but it was i think it was i think it was called the joy of gay sex and it was this whole sort of instruction manual about how you have sex as a gay man but also it talked about relationships and connections and the different type of relationships you can have and it made me aware that you know it doesn't have to be about going straight into something monogamous. You might sort of explore having polyamory or open relationships or, and, and then it describes, it has a whole chapter talking about different ways you can touch your body or your partner's body and explore pleasuring the other person. And it's the first time I started to really be introduced to, it's like, oh, this idea of pleasuring, self-pleasuring or pleasuring the other. And then I learned tantric massage or, sensual massage and, and you know and then I started working with other men's bodies in that way and seeing you know how can we bring a sense of 
real sort of intimate touch and pleasure into this for a lot of people who a lot of my clients you know they were feeling so much shame and were so shut down particularly around their genitals um and a number of them you know were married but you know so it was interesting coming back to that question because with that i felt well this is perhaps helping your your marriage to continue because it's like you know you're someone who you're you're 55 you know you're not looking to go jumping into the gay scene you, you don't want to have sex but there's a part of you that you've never really allowed to uh, to experience or a part of you that you need to experience which is feeling the touch of another man um and it was, you know, something that friends would sometimes sort of challenge me around because they're saying like, yeah, but they're then just going back to their wife after sort of like, you know, having a, you know, having a dodgy massage. And I say, well, but that's the thing. It's not the focus wasn't on the orgasm, although there might be an orgasm within it. You know, the focus is, you know, how does this person learn to really connect to their body and release any shame that they have around um the feelings that they have so that they can feel a bit more whole inside as always it's kind of blown my brain open but i was just i was thinking there as you were talking nick about the almost the, the triangulation of sex love and intimacy and how the the package that we're sold is that they all have to be aligned or it's not perfect and thinking about for people growing up heterosexual or people who have sex with members of the opposite gender or a different gender it's the, it's there all the time you see it all the time it's you know it's got to the point now where me and dan if we're watching something on tv we'll be like oh here comes the straight sex scene and what does it add to the story? And, you know, not from a prudish perspective, but almost like if there were equal amounts of same sex sex scenes on TV as there are heterosexuals, I, then there would be such a different take on that. Whereas it's it's kind of just normal. It's like it, you get to the point and they just have sex and, you know, whether it's real or not, meaningful or not, helpful or not it's like there's gonna it's gonna happen i also you just reminded me that um we recommended the tv show sensate to some of our friends <laughs> and several of my heterosexual cisgender friends were like oh yeah it was great until the one episode um which is very very uh sex positive and very uh sort of sensual and beautiful and amazing and uh, people stop watching after it and i'm just like are you serious like this it's not what you see on tv all the time but it's a completely different i mean it's it's basically a, a, a multi-dimensional orgy i guess uh they were the best scenes it was incredible yeah. I was like, I don't know. I feel like I could have cried because it was, I mean, it, that was, uh, I mean, speaking of bringing together intimacy and, uh, and sexuality and so on into a space together. Uh, that was one time when I felt like that was a, a good representation of something that isn't uh, the, the norm. Mm. Yeah, I think that show really represented like how interconnected we are. And because all of those characters were linked telepathically, it was just kind of like a, it was a very spiritual show, actually. I loved it. It's the um, same um, people who did The Matrix, um, who are both trans and incredible. Yeah. Love all their work. Recommendation. Yes, go watch Sense8. <laughs> yeah. If we, thinking about it from our lens of hope, thinking about hope for now, hope for the future, even hope for our past selves, 
what would be the one piece of wisdom about sex that you would share? Queer sex. Please don't, don't feel you have to be perfect. people put a lot of pressure on themselves feeling that you know they have to perform or perform for the other or perform for you know just some idea of how they should be and you know instead in, in, enjoy you know where is your pleasure and where is the pleasure of the other and allow it to, to grow out of that yeah i think not going into an experience being like this is this is the role I'll play and this is what I'll do I think just being in the moment with that person um and allowing whatever happens to happen if you're just experiencing each other's bodies then naturally things will happen um and sometimes shit happens <laughs> yeah I would I would also say uh I would say be present and uh I, I have to do a pun. I would say, do you. <laughs> <laughs> what does do you mean? Just do, do yourself. <laughs> I don't know. It just feels. <laughs> <laughs> do you, do yourself. Uh, I mean, but really, like, daring to bring yourself into an experience uh, mm. feels like the feels like a, a good way to really to really also understand what you're what you're experiencing have something to take with you so i wish i could say something profound because everything that the three of you have said is incredibly meaningful i was just going to say you don't have to come which i know is a weird one <laughs> but i think it's something through some of the conversations nick and i have had and through the that kind of tantric practice. Again, it was one of those moments where I thought everything I've ever seen about sex is about men having an orgasm. I mean, women, whatever, you know, it doesn't matter in the media, you know, usually. I remember that old joke about, you know, the man at the end saying to the woman, did you come? And just going, oh God. But that feeling of, for men, it's just all about the orgasm. And the illusion of porn and performance and the money shot and all of those things that just get kind of absorbed into the consciousness of sex and it becomes about outcomes or <laughs> it becomes about a, an objective which is i'm i must come and if i make that other person come that's fine but it's about me and there's something I think quite liberating about approaching sex from a place of if no one comes that's brilliant because it takes away that kind of that focus of it's all about this mm. the, the work ethic the productivity yes <laughs> have unproductive yeah. sex yeah it's less about the end goal and it's about the journey mm. which is life isn't it that's mm maybe this is about on a, a deeper level this is about our need for closure or our need for completion and neatness and mm -hmm. predictability you know everything that speaks to this the defenses against the fact that we're all just born on a massive ball of rock spinning through space around a ball of fire and one day we'll be dead you know that's sexy isn't it <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> and so all of these things that we put in place to kind of protect ourselves against that reality are all about predictability and control and patterns and perfection and actually sex should be the opposite of that it should be messy and it should be ridiculous and funny and spontaneous and planned and all of those things because it doesn't matter it doesn't matter yeah, my sexological body worker uh, said to me one time that sort of good sex has to be noisy. Or, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, or to put it another way, I think he said you can't you can't have silent sex. 
Um, and it was interesting because it made me sort of think of the times where I'd maybe felt shame around making a sound, making noise, expressing my pleasure. Um, and whereas, you know, actually connecting into the voice and connecting into the belly and allowing yourself to let these sounds out and, you know, not worrying about what the neighbors will think or, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, um, that's part of it. It's, it's, it's like, you know, does, does sex take you into your head? and into thinking about what you're doing and what you should be doing and whether this is all right or that is okay or whether you'll appear a bit ridiculous if you start growling uh, or do you come into your body and go with and, and allow sex to be a sort of integrative experience of you know really being here in your body and really letting the, the, the and even like again the sexological coach he said that with his girlfriend sometimes he would just lie and cry whilst he was having sex because sometimes a vulnerability would come up or a, a fear and you know the sex between them wasn't about just having some prescribed set of actions um but that there might be a time where he would need to curl up and cry and have her arms around him as he allows that vulnerability to, to be there. Make crying during sex sexy. That can be our new mantra. <laughs> I mean, that's the ultimate vulnerability, isn't it? And both counts. Mm. Yeah. I, yeah. Maybe I'll listen back to it and we can do a little hope cast menu of sex with men manifesto or manifesto about how to have better sex or more of it or wilder or quieter or noisier or whatever it is. But yeah, it's so interesting. But also the tantric thing is it's, it's not necessarily um, about not orgasming, but it's about bringing the energy from the orgasm, which we're sort of taught is, you know, we're taught that the focus of the orgasm is in the genitals um but in tantra what we're looking to do is actually draw on that sexual energy and draw it into our body and i haven't experienced it yet and annoyingly some of the people i taught have <laughs> like but um but my tantra teacher talks about you know an orgasm as a heart uh or an orgasm uh through the whole body um, and when you actually separate orgasm off from just a physical ejaculation um, and you connect with it as an energetic experience in your body as, as something that connects you to this universal life force, uh, which is our sexual energy. And that's maybe one reason religions like to control it, because it controls what actually connects us to uh, the universe, you know, this universal force. Um, but, you know, as you as you do certain practices and you start to feel what it's like to circulate that energy through your body or up the spine and into your body, um, then it is possible to start to feel this this sensation that pervades your whole body and is no longer just about one physical act. But I've read of people talking about how they've had orgasms going on for sort of 10 or 15 minutes because that energy has just started to ripple through their body and it's no longer just expelled in sort of one uh, burst. Um, but it's, um, it, it reverberates through the body and they're just able to keep drawing on that energy. So we invite all our listeners to give themselves an orgasm of the heart or be given one. So Nick, would you want to do a few minutes meditation just to take us out yes unless anders wants to um, not a meditation leader i think all right fine i yet want to... we all have Thank our you. inner inner meditation teacher <laughs> <laughs> then into whatever uh, posture supports you right now, whether that's sitting 
or lying down. Connecting with the weight of your body. The heaviness of your legs, the contact of your feet with the floor. Feeling the breath moving in the belly. Now, bringing one hand to rest on the skin, if you can touch yourself physically uh, underneath the belly button. So you feel your hand resting here on the energetic sex center within the body, the chakra connected with the sex center. And if you feel comfortable to do so, bringing your other hand to rest on the genitals. And just starting to notice what happens as I tune in to the sex center and to the genitals. What is my emotional reaction to this right now? I feel a sense of excitement and ease and anticipation. I feel worry, or anxiety or discomfort. Breathing into whatever is here for you. If there's a difficult emotion that starts to be present as a result of bringing your attention to, to the sex center, breathing into that place where you feel the restriction, where you feel the limitation. For some of us who meditate a lot, we may find that our energy is in the upper spiritual domain of the heart and the throat and the, the crown chakra. And exploring, does there seem to be any block? Is there any restriction around me being able to inhabit my whole body? Genitals and the sex center, an area that is somehow out of bounds if I'm engaged with a spiritual practice. Breathing into whatever is here for you. Noticing any blocks that might be here, noticing any sense of excitement and pleasure. And imagining that there's a golden light under the hand that is resting on your belly. And this golden light is your sexual energy. Seeing if you can connect with this area and feel it as a warmth or a vibration in your body, or does it feel numb? going to do three rounds of a practice known as the microcosmic orbit and just seeing do I connect with this do I connect with my body or does this 
in, indicate something to me about perhaps being a little distant from my sexual energy. In the microcosmic orbit, we imagine that there's a golden tube running from the base of the spine to the top of the head. And another one running down the front of our body. When you breathe, you imagine the energy, this golden light coming down through the genitals and into this golden tube, up the tube, across the top of your head to the forehead. As you breathe out, this golden light cascades down the front of your body. You may find that this energy only comes just into the lower back or it doesn't feel as if it moves at all. You'll simply work with your experience. When you circulate this energy as you breathe in, you locate that muscle between the genitals and the anus and contract the pelvic floor as if you were trying to stop yourself having a pee. At the same time, having the tongue resting on the roof of your mouth behind your top teeth. So the whole practice will be that you'll breathe in, contract the pelvic floor as if you were stopping yourself having a pee, drawing that energy down through the genitals up to the top of the head, to between the eyebrows. And then as you breathe out, the energy comes down and you release and relax the pelvic floor. And on the third round, you then let the energy come to rest wherever you most need it in the throat for communication, in the heart to be centered in your emotions or in the solar plexus above the tummy button to be in your center of power. Or if you're about to have sex, or then bring it back down into the sex center. So we'll now take three breaths. It's an invitation if you don't want to do this, simply continue breathing and feeling the energy under the palm of your hand. But if you're ready, taking a breath in, contracting the pelvic floor, drawing the energy down through the genitals, up through the spines at the top of your head, between the eyebrows and breathing out, letting the energy drop down through your body. Taking another breath in, contracting the pelvic floor, drawing the energy down through your genitals, up the back the eyebrows, breathing out, releasing the pelvic floor, letting the energy cascade down. Now the last time, and when you're breathing in, breathing out, letting the energy come to rest somewhere in your body. moments letting go of trying to do anything simply breathing feeling your body reflecting on maybe what you learned from having done this practice about your relationship to your sexual energy Feeling that gratitude to your body, feeling gratitude to this life force, the sexual energy that has its home here in your body. And bringing the practice to a close. Are you feeling the weight of your body, the contact of your feet with the floor, and noticing the sounds around you? some movement into your fingers and toes and taking a deep breath in breathing out slowly opening your eyes
Thank you, Nick. That was really powerful. It answered my question that I started the episode with about why those words landed. Because when you asked us to connect, I felt judgment. And I think, oh, that's why it resonated. Because there's judgment in there. And so that's why it may be attracted. Or not attracted, maybe that's why it stuck. Why it felt mm. magnetic. Mm. So yeah, something to think about. Yeah, that's Anders, really you, don't have, you don't have to share, but feel free if you want to. Yeah, no, that was, uh, I've, I've never actually done a meditation like that. Um, and it's a kind of meditation I would probably do again. <laughs> uh, it's really, uh, I don't know, I just always think it's, um, it's so weird and interesting and nice to to try new ways of of connecting with both mind and body and um i think i sort of landed in in more of a a question for myself um, just in general uh, because i mean in general in life i've also been very busy recently and felt kind of uh um, yeah, I don't know, like I'm, I'm not maybe fully present. So I'm, I'm ending today with a question, what, what do I need? Um, so we'll see what the answer ends up being. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. And thanks to you for listening. We always really appreciate everyone who listens to the podcast. And for those who give feedback, even if it's uncomfortable feedback, it really helps us to think to examine why we hold some of the beliefs that we do and it gives us the opportunity to challenge ourselves and to change so thank you everyone can get in touch with us through our socials at hopecast podcast on all platforms you can email us wwbd at hopecastpodcast.com if you have a question for the buddha in our section what would buddha do if you like what we do, please take a second to rate us and review us on your podcast platform. Uh, five star reviews only, please. Anything less is homophobic. And you can find all of the hosts on Instagram and the links to those are in our show notes. Thank you again so much for listening and we'll see you on our next Hovecast. Bye for now.